You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 1. And I just believe uh, this was rare, this was unique. Uh, the Lord, I believe, spoke to me last night in a dream and gave me this message, and that doesn't happen often, I'll be honest with you, when I'm preaching or traveling. But uh, as I was in prayer about the service, the Lord didn't really give me anything while I was awake. He waited till I went to sleep. <laughs> and then I woke up, and I, the Lord began to put this passage in my heart. But it says this, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Can you imagine seeing a sight like that? A tree burning with fire but not being burned up. Only God could do something like that. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not hither, put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And I've just stopped the reading there. And we're going to look back at this first verse and take a subject from the first verse, a message simply entitled, The Backside of the Desert. The Backside of the Desert. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the privilege to preach your gospel Thank you for this church, these brothers and their wives and the families who are here. Lord, we pray for your anointing to rest upon us. We pray for the Spirit of God to move like never before. And Lord, that you would anoint the people to hear what I believe you've given us for this service. And Lord, we just give you all the glory and praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You know, looking at this text, it, it mirrors all of our lives in some way, some form, or another. And of course, it has been said over the years, the greater the calling, the greater the testing, the greater the calling, the greater the anointing, the greater the test. And according to Scripture, it is important that we understand that, yes, we are Christians. Yes, we love the Lord, but as one common denominator that all of us are going to face in this life, and that is we're going to go through uh, a backside of the desert experience. We're going to go through trials. And I want to say this, uh, as parishioners or members of a local church, uh, and this is going to sound contrary to what's popular, but you should thank God that the men that you sit under have gone through backside of the desert experiences. Because it's because it is when we are there that God really unfolds his plan to us. Now, I want to say it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good. It's not a place where any of us are jumping in line saying, hey, God, take me to the backside of the desert. 
but it's necessary. You know, as a child growing up, I, I, I look back and I know uh, children, if you're young people in here, you probably don't want to say this now, but later you look back and say, I'm glad that I had some backside experiences with mama. I'm glad that I had some backside experiences with my dad. I'm glad because it taught me discipline. It taught me correction. It taught me, and it saved me from a lot of drama that uh, a lot of other of my friends were going through when mama just had to shut it down and said, no, you're not going over there. This is, I, I remember growing up and she would tell us often, this is a sanctified house. And you're not going to listen to everything everybody else is listening to. Have I got a witness in here? You're not going to go where everybody else is going. You're not going to do what everybody else is doing. Because this is a holy house. And I'm grateful for those experiences in life because they teach us something. And, and I, we look at the life of Moses and it's important to understand how God was orchestrating events in his life even when he didn't know God was orchestrating events. A child being born and uh, look at how it happened and how all of the things begin to work themselves out. And I want to say this, nothing has happened to you by happen chance. God caused it, God allowed it. It's either one of those things. And a young baby is born and uh, at that particular time, uh, the children were being killed who were being born from the Hebrew women. And then God spares this young man's life because God had a plan way before the children of Israel went into Egyptian bondage. And his plan was to take a young man by the name of Moses, raise him up, and to deliver the people of God from bondage. But before he got to this place of delivering them, he had to spend some alone time with God. Before he got to the place of bringing them out of Egyptian bondage, he had to spend some time on the backside of the desert. And it's so hard, I will say, and I'm sure I can testify for all of us in here when you're on the backside of the desert. Because if you think about a desert, a desert is not a place where it's a lot of popularity. It's not a place where there's a lot of people celebrating and laughing and having a good time. The desert typically is a desolate place. It's hot. You're thirsty. There's no growth, naturally speaking, in the desert. But isn't it amazing how there's no natural growth, what we would think today in the desert, but spiritually you can grow. Because that's how God orchestrates things in our lives. Where everybody else sees you and thinks that you're down, that's actually the time where God is really helping you. You look at John the Beloved, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, God was really ministering to him in a time of isolation. You read the book of Genesis, the Bible says that Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Why is it that God often gets us alone and then he starts to pour into us? Because God has to shut some things down. He has to shut some voices up, some people who are maybe good friends, but they may not be necessary in this season of your life because God is getting ready to do something bigger in you and something more. And the ministry that he has called you to and the thing that he has called you for. I want to say this before we go any further. God knew Faith Worship Center would be here before Steve Alexander was born. Isn't it amazing how he grooms your life? Brian and all of you brothers and sisters who were here and he brought these marriages together. Long before any of you ever got here, God knew this would exist. 
but there had to be some experiences, some backside of the desert experiences, some stuff you didn't see. And so now you see someone standing here and you say, oh, man, he's anointed and God is using him to pour in our lives. But you didn't see the tears. You didn't see the lonely nights, the sleepless nights, the time of torment, the time where you questioned God and wondered if he had really called you. And saints, I want to tell you right now, there's going to be some days in your life, the brother said it when he was singing, where you are going to question some things. I've, I've often said this because, you know, I know sometimes we get deep and we say, well, I've never gone through anything like that. Well, I'll say this, just keep living. Because you really haven't been tried until you start questioning whether you're saved. You know you're going through a trial when you start wondering if God is real. If all of this teaching about Calvary is even real. You're really going through when you start questioning everything around you and you start looking at everybody else funny. You're really going through a trial. And what I love about God is he doesn't throw you away when you start the foolishness. Somebody say, I've never gone through like that. Read the book of Job. Job questioned his very birth, his very existence. He cursed it. He said, you know what, God, you should have just let me die in my mother's womb. You should have just let me die when I was a toddler. You should never have allowed me to get to the point of manhood. And then Job made a mistake of saying, I wish God were here now. I would tell him to his face. Now you. I've been through some trials. I hadn't been hurt like Job yet. I pray I don't go through that one where I say, God, I wish you were here now so I could tell you to your face how I really feel. And you know what God did for Job? God visited Job. He said, Job, stand up. Go read the text. He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He said, who are you to question me? Who are you to question what I'm doing? So I want to encourage you this morning, saints, that even though you're in this time and in this place, keep living and keep trusting. And while you're here, keep praising God because this is not the end of the story. Just got to give you some bad news first, and then we're going to get to some great news, but a lot of times we want the great news. We like to turn on the TV and see that the, my team won the game, right? We want to see that Arkansas won. Amen, somebody. Come on, shout at me. Oh, y'all ain't too excited about the Razorbacks. But you know what never shows on the news I, I use this analogy where I go. I remember playing college football, and I can remember going through what we call county fair. If, you, if anybody here played football, you know what I'm talking about. You're going through the off-season workout. That never makes the news. What makes the news is that the team won the game. But what they don't cover is the blood, sweat, and tears that you put in from January all the way to August when the season started. And see, so you had those guys to show up in August and say, Coach, put me in. I want to play. No, you haven't been on the backside of the desert with us. You haven't gone through the blood, sweat, and tears. And this is the time where, saints, you have to trust God. Look at the state and condition right now of our country. Saints, I, I'm, I'm only 41 years old. I'm not as old as some of you. But I can tell you right now, in my lifetime, I have never seen America in the shape that it's in today. Morally, spiritually, 
our leadership. I mean, we are in a bad place. However, God is not in a bad place. And that's what we've got to fight through all of this we see and keep believing. You know what? God is still on the throne. We're going through some trying times. We're going through some horrible times. But God didn't take a week off. And I'm grateful for that. Can you imagine if God says, I'm going to take vacation? And that's where we are. And that's what we're seeing right before our eyes. We're on the backside of the desert. Preachers, we're on the backside of the desert. Church, we're on the backside of the desert. Saints, we're on the backside of the desert. But while we're here, God has not leave, left us there. God is there visiting you in a burning bush. But will you hear him while he's there? This is what I like. Moses, he's orchestrating events. And some of you here, God was orchestrating events before you got saved. You were a knucklehead and God still had his hand on you. I was in a nightclub and God still was orchestrating events in my life. I didn't hear it and I couldn't hear it, but God knew how to get me back to Columbus, Mississippi, so that on March 17, 2002, I just so happened to be in All Nations Christian Fellowship Church. He knew all of those things. But what I did not know is that on September 27th, the year before that, I had a knee surgery because in October of 1999, I blew out my knee. God was orchestrating events. He's not going to give up football, so I'm going to allow this to happen. I ended up home, and when I got home, I ended up going to a church that had just planted the week of my surgery. Saints, you can't make that up. Hollywood can't make that up. My brother Mario got saved, and in March of the following year, I gave my heart to the Lord. God knew what was, what was needed. He knew all of the things, and even when we were sinners, I can remember my mom calling Mario one night. Uh, he, she was praying for him, and she told him, she said, Mario, I need you and Tori to come home this weekend. We didn't want to come home. We were only an hour away from home. We didn't want to come home because we wanted to go out and party. And she called again, and she pleaded. She said, I need y'all to come home. Well, the guys that we were hanging with went to the club that night, and that night at the club, somebody got murdered. But here's the thing. The guy who we were riding with is the one who pulled the trigger. But we went back home to Columbus, Mississippi, because we had a spirit-filled mother. Somebody ought to give God praise. Because... Because God burdened her heart and said, something is off, something is not adding up, get your sons home. And my brother, this was his best friend. And can you imagine right now, he would probably be in prison for an accessory after the fact or something. Spending the rest of his young childhood in prison. And now he's got four, daughter, four, four children. Son is playing the drums, playing the keyboard. His daughters are singing and living for the Lord. Look at what would have been destroyed. I'm just trying to show you sometimes you don't know what's going on, but God knows what's going on. They say you know what's happening or you see what's happening, but do you know what's going on? And so here's Moses. He's taken out of the river, and it's so funny. He's raised by his own mother, and she gets paid for raising him. How can something like that happen if God is not in it? 
40 years of his life, and just bear with me for just a few moments, he's raised in the palace, he's educated, and when you're raised in the palace and he was being groomed to become the next Pharaoh, this was the natural plan for his life, but God had a bigger plan for his life. And now he's there getting all the glitz and the glamour. He's being raised. He's understanding all of this astronomy and all of this about Pharaoh. He's learning so much. He's got the best education. He's well-spoken. And all of a sudden, God orchestrates events, and Moses ends up killing a man. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse 11, you'll see it. And I want to say this. All of the parts of your life are not pretty. Before you got to your hallelujah and your thank you, Jesus, and your tongues and all of what God has given you, there's some ugly parts of your life, too. It may not be murder, but there are some ugly parts. Have I got a witness in here? But those ugly parts are still part of who you are today. And here we go. God takes this and uses this event. And all of a sudden, Moses finds out that everybody knows that he has murdered a man. And guess what he has to do? He has to go to the desert. For 40 years in the palace, there is no evidence that God visited him. He's got people waiting on him hand and foot. No visitation from God. He's being groomed to be Pharaoh. No visitation from God. But he goes out here in a hot desert and he's tending to a flock and all of a sudden there's a bush in the desert that's on fire, but the bush is not being burned. And Moses is walking by, as you and I would have reacted, and he starts to talk to himself. He says, I know this ain't what I think it is. You have been caught off guard like that where you, have, you can't talk to nobody else, you start talking to yourself. Man, it's a bush over here, and it's on fire, and I don't want to look at it because it's not burning up. And the Bible says when he gets ready to look away, God speaks to him. And I love this because God introduces himself to Moses. He said, hey, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God introduces himself first, and then God says, listen, first of all, reverence who I am. Take your shoes off because the place that you're standing is holy ground. And then Moses obeys God and God starts to tell Moses what the problem is. See, while you're on, let me tell you something. A lot of the prophecy that you hear today is not from God. A lot of the so-called prophecy we hear are things that men want to happen or the agendas that we want to see happen. If you really want to hear from God and have a word from the church, you're going to have to spend some time alone with God. God's not in hype and trying to get us all hyped up. Listen, I want to shout too, and I want to rejoice and run and jump, but the Bible didn't say my people are destroyed because they have no shout. He said my people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. And we've got a lot of hype in the Pentecostal church, but we need knowledge of what God is saying so we know what to do. We can't move and operate in our feelings. We got to move with the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit. And so God tells him what's going on. God says, listen, Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people. 
And if you're truly called of God, if you're a preacher of the gospel, if you're called to a capacity of leadership, I can assure you, you have felt this burden in your heart. Amen, somebody. God says, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry, and I'm coming to deliver them. Everything to this point sounded good. But then God tells Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. That's when Moses starts saying, wait a minute now. I, I know they're in trouble, and I know, but man, I, can, I, I can barely speak well. And then Moses starts to bargain. He says, okay, okay, okay. All right, so just say I do go. Just say if I do go to Pharaoh and tell him all of this stuff you said, and I go to the children of Israel, your people, if I go to them, who should I tell them their God is? And God just simply says, I am that I am. Saints, if that's not powerful, I'm not talking about my preaching. I'm talking about what God said. He said, I am that I am. He said, when you go to them, you tell them that I am sent you. So here Moses goes to the people of God. Can you imagine that, saints? And the preacher comes up here to preach, and you're looking for some deep, eloquent Hebrew, Greek, and all of this thesaurus and all of these big words. And he stands up here and says, well, I am sent me to you today. You know, that's not deep enough for a lot of us deep folk. But when God is in it, God's not trying to confuse you. I was listening to one preacher, and I'm literally not trying to be funny. I, I could barely get through the sermon. And I, I said, I said, them people don't know what he's talking about. I, it was as though he read the thesaurus before he got up. He was going through some words, and he said, I want to recapitulate and to. Uh, and I was like, brother, I don't even know what you're talking about. Preach the word. Folk don't care how deep you are. They don't care what grade you graduated. Do you have the anointing on your life? True believer, we don't care about your eloquence. We don't care about what kind of degree you have. Have you been alone with God on the backside of the desert? That's what I need to know. Because the stuff that I brought to church with me this morning, I don't need a plaque. I don't need your intellect. I need the power of God. That's what I need. Saints, Moses, and if you notice the text, not one time did God mention his education. Not one time did God mention his time in the palace. Not one time did God mention uh, him uh, attempting to do this or attempting to do that. God began to show him what he wanted to do through him. And this is what I love. You got 40 years in the palace. Saints, that time is one thing. And now you got 40 years in the desert. And it's the 40 years in the desert that we really don't want. We kind of like to skip over that. I want the palace. Skip the desert, Lord, and just give me the delivering of the people. But if you read the Bible, you will see that there is nowhere in Scripture where that happens. Look at Joseph, the 17-year-old young man. Now he's walking around with a coat of many colors. Most of us want that jacket. Amen, sisters. Oh, come on, y'all. That all looks good, the glitz and the glamour, the jacket. But then all of a sudden they strip him of his jacket and they, 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 they lie on him and they, they, they sell him into slavery. They plot to kill their own brother at 17 years old. 
And a lot of times we want to skip that process. We just want to be 17 with the pretty coat, skip the next 13 years and just give me the palace. But that's just not the way Christianity works, especially if you're going to be used by God. It is the time in between that prepares you for the palace. It's that time Moses, let me go back to Joseph for a moment. It's the time Joseph spent in prison. It's the time Joseph spent in the pit. It's the time Joseph spent in Potiphar's house being lied on. Then he goes to jail. All of that stuff is important. Because once God brought him to the place of being in the palace, now Joseph was mirroring God because God had stripped away all of the foolishness and prepared him for where he was taking him. It was the 40 years on the backside of the desert that God was stripping away Moses and the experiences in the palace. And it is your time as a Christian on the backside of the desert that God is stripping away all of that foolishness that's there and all of the stuff we thought we were ready for. But listen, let me tell you this, and this is going to sound hard, but I want to say it to you in the best I can. Saints, I'd rather be a fool in the desert than wait till I get to the place that God placed me, and then all of a sudden the fool comes out. I, Lord, help me to mess up. and You see all of my ugly. You know your children, saints. Don't nobody know your children but you. And you brought that little girl to church this morning. She had those little ponytails and you had that pretty dress on. And everybody said, oh, my God, she's so cute. But you see her when she got. Can I, she got the cat butter all in her eyes and her hair's not combed and it's all over her head. She's got morning breath. Y'all know kids, they don't care about their breath. They get right here and say, Daddy, Daddy, get out my face. You see all of the ugly and everybody else sees the cute. That's what we're doing when we go to church and try to act like we hadn't been through nothing or we're not going through nothing. Listen, be ugly at home. Let God get all of that ugly out of you. That way when God places you before his people, they don't see you. They see him working in you. We want to impress people with our gift. But the backside of the desert, it starts to just corrupt some things and it starts to just shake up some things. And what I love about it is I remember preaching my first sermon. I'm glad y'all didn't hear me back in 05. I had a problem with stuttering. I'm being honest with you. Uh, I would get scared and I would stutter really bad and I, I, I would just get so discouraged and I didn't want to preach anymore. And some of y'all said, really? Yeah, that, see, that's the ugly part. Stutter, every sermon I preach, I'm just going in and going at it, and I'm just struggling. I couldn't put two words together. All of it was happening at home. It was the ugly stage. And I like to think, I mean, I'm still in the ugly stage because God, it's just sometimes we're just so hard-headed. You feel like, God, I'm not ready yet to come out of this. Not yet. There's still some ugly stuff there, the refiner. He says, I'm still looking at it, and I'm trying to make sure you're ready for what's happening. Because where we are right now in the church, saints of God, we really need a word from God. In this pandemic and in this time, and that's what, you know, we pray and ask God for wisdom, and we don't just cast aside. Because when a lot of this stuff first happened, you know, we, we moved in emotions, and everybody said, oh, man, this is this, this is that. And all of a sudden, we realize, okay, it is real. What do we do now? And people made fun of the church, and then the church, what did the enemy do? He started dividing us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
And so it started to be church against church. And instead of us being in unity, praying and saying, Lord, what do we do now? We know what your word says, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Lord, we're going to come and we're going to pray and we're going to seek you because we want to know what you're saying, not what emotions are saying. That's what we are, saints. We've got to know what God is saying. And then when you start reading it, you see all of this ugly and the backside of the desert. He's, he's there, and then God is training him. He said, what do you have in your hand? I just got an old ugly stick. God said, let me see that stick. God says, I want to use what you got. And I want to show you that that old dead stick is nothing when it's in your hand, but when it's in my hand, it'll work wonders. That's the God that we serve. And so you see all of these years and 40 years pass and all of a sudden you see Moses being used by God and you see God begin to, see when you're going to bring 3 million people out, it can't be by the flesh. It's got to be by the strong arm of God. I love Moses' life because he goes to Pharaoh and he says, thus said the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Moses kept just obeying what God said. And that's why you got to be careful. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. And God says, I'm going to do all the work. All I want you to do is speak for me. Doesn't that sound familiar? I'm not, you're not going to change anybody, preacher. He said, you just speak for me and I'll do the changing. Tell them what I said and don't get ahead of yourself. Remember Moses got mad. He was supposed to speak to the rock, but he got caught up in his feelings. What did he do? He hit the rock again. God said, that's what happens when you get in your feelings and stop following my leading. You get emotional and you end up hurting the work of God instead of helping the work of God. And that happens too often in the pulpit. We get emotional because we want to see things change and our feelings come out. Oh, God. I was preaching one day, and I'll I'm, I'm be honest, my brother had to come to me. I ain't going to tell you what I said, so don't ask. He said, Tori, can I talk to you for a moment? I said, yeah, man. He said, do you think that's good for the pulpit? It was about six, seven years ago. I was pastoring. I was tongue-talking, and I was traveling. See, we don't like to talk about that part. But I was angry, not at the church, but I was just angry at what I was seeing. And the perversion and all of this stuff that was just taking place, the homosexuality. And you guys see it. And I was so mad and I, I said something I shouldn't have said. And my brother, and I had to come back and repent of that thing. The ugly part that we don't like to talk about. That ugly part about you that God exposes on the backside of the desert. That ugly part of your life, that ugly part of your situation, that ugly part about you, that he, listen, you're alone. God is trying to minister to you while you're here so that we will know what he is saying in that moment. And if you will learn in that moment, you will know what he's saying. What did Jesus say when he took the fish and the five loaves of bread? The Bible said he took it and he blessed it. That's where we want to stop a lot of times. But then when he broke it, that's the part that I really don't want. Paul lived that Romans chapter 7 experience. That's the part that I, I just don't want. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Bible says that Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And I prayed thrice and asked God to move it, but he wouldn't move it. But he told me, I'll give you grace that's sufficient. That's the part. 
that bothers me. And if I can just be really honest with you this morning, that's the part that bothers all of us. I want to shout Sunday morning. I want to speak in tongues. I love to hear the praise team, and I love Hannah, wherever she is, that beautiful song she was singing. I love all of that, and I want to hear God and the saints coming around, being blessed. We're laying hands on them. I want all of that. But that ugly part, that part I don't really feel good about, I don't like that part, that part about me, you know, that the saints don't see. I still get upset sometimes and fly off the handle. See, the saints don't see that. The people at home see that part of me. But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, God, I want you to change that part of me that the people don't see. Because I want to glorify you not just when I'm preaching a sermon or not just when I'm singing or not just when I'm in the pew waving my hands. But I want you to fix me to where I'm glorifying you on my job. I'm glorifying you in my home. Everything about me is bringing you glory. The backside of the desert is the experience that I look at my life, and I may have shared it before, but I don't know if I've shared it here. But I, I can remember some years ago going through a situation being self-employed, and if you've ever been in trouble with the IRS, it's second to being in trouble with God. I'm being honest with you. When they take everything, when they seize the bank accounts, I was 22 years old. I had great credit at 22. Bought my house, and I thought everything was good. But you know what I didn't see? I didn't see the pride that was creeping up. I didn't see that part. I was preaching, and I was happy, and I was living for the Lord. Just had gotten married, children. I mean, I mean I'm just saying, hey, it can't get much better than this. And the taxes are piling up, and all of a sudden, I got home. I'll never forget 2007. I'd just gotten back from preaching IYC. And as soon as I got home and I, I deposited more money, I left the next day. I got a notice from the bank. It said, your bank account is in the red, $15,000. I said, I had never even seen $15,000 in my life, so how can it be in the red that much? Who do I owe? That would cause my bank account to be, and all of a sudden it said, levy, levy, levy. And if you've never seen that, I pray you never see it. My car was gone. The house, I got a notice, said November 8th, that's the final notice. You got to get out. You got to vacate the premise. Moved out of my house. Uh, lost it in foreclosure. And this is the ugly part that happened on the backside of the desert. And I... I didn't understand it, and I had a strong prayer life. And saints, I'm going to be honest with you, I couldn't even pray. And the enemy would tell you things like, you may as well end your life. You can't feed your own family. You can't feed your children. You are good for nothing. And you know what? The Lord began to move a little bit but it just I'm, when I tell you the backside lasts a while sometimes I went through that for years because I couldn't recover even when I made money all of it had to go through that I landed a good paying job and by the time I was there and start making good money guess what they came back 
And they said, you still owe this money. So now I was working overtime 20 hours sometimes a week, 30 hours sometimes just to make a decent check because they were taking 25% of my paycheck. Couldn't do anything, and all I know is this. Saints, all I can really tell you is this. I don't have some big story that somebody donated $5 million to me or 100. What I can tell you, though, that brought me comfort and brings me comfort today. Through all of that, every day the Lord comforted me. And the Lord kept my mind safe through that. I'm 41 now, and all of that is paid off because the Lord did it. And then even in the midst of it, God told me, now I'm going to tell you what's going to blow your mind. God, in the midst of me having to pay them, God says, I want you to walk away from your job now and go full-time evangelist. I said, God, I can't do that. I still owe them $30,000. He said, walk away. Saints, God told me to walk away. I walked away, and somehow, some way, it still got paid, and God kept my mind in Columbus, Mississippi during that time. We had a popular person. I won't call his name, but he was he owned several car lots. He lost them gambling. He took a revolver and blew his brains out. Another one, a few months later, he owned a big tire company. I mean, he was making money. He had a gambling problem. He lost everything he had, and he took his own life. Saints, all I can say is during that time, but for the grace of God, that would have been me too. But on the backside of the desert, God comforted me while I was there, and I could have gave up and threw in the towel. But God said, you can't quit because there's ministry ahead of you. And here we are today. I, I, there's no way I should be in Portia, Arkansas. Remember, I'm the same guy that should have threw in the towel 10 years ago. But God kept me. I met Steve Alexander. And God orchestrates events. And then he uses people to pour into your life and to help you when they don't even know they're helping you. Steve, I still remember. You preached a message entitled, What Do You Have in Your Hand? And God touched me through that service. He didn't know how bad I was hurting. But God said, you've got enough to make it through this because God was with it and he's in it, saints of God. Let me tell you something. You're going to make it if you don't throw in the towel while you're there on the backside. You will make it through. I know most of you in here have made this statement in your life. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I said that 100, 200, 1,000 times in that particular time. And now I look back and say, Lord, you kept me through that. But that was some stripping of torrents during that process. Some hard times. Some stuff that I can tell you right now. God brought me through with his outstretched hand. And when I look at the life of Moses, and I'm going to close, I didn't go in the direction that I had planned. But when I look at the life of Moses, I look at him being on the backside of the desert. I look at him murdering a man. I look at him being at the lowest point of his life. And then I look at God begin to say, I'm going to use what you have. And I'm going to bring out three million people or so, give or take, if you will just surrender to me, if you'll just yield your life to me, singers and musicians, you can come. He says, I'm going to use you. And now look 
at where you are. And if you think I'm saying that there's some place of elevation where you're above somebody, that's not what growth is. God doesn't bring you out of a situation so that you can look down on people. He brings you out to bring you comfort and solace. And then he helps you, as Paul said, to comfort somebody else. And I'm here to tell you this morning, some of you are going through and you are hurting this morning. And it's real pain. And You haven't talked about it. You don't want to tell a lot of people about it. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows. And he's been in the business of bringing people out, saints, long before I ever got here. He brought Moses through the desert. Moses stood tall in his last part of, parts of his life. And in the last parts of his life, can you imagine a man being a murderer? A man having to spend this time on the backside of the desert. Seemingly, he lost everything. But the truth is, he gained everything. Because he lost that self-dependence. And that's when you start to gain the Lord. And the Bible tells us, that God took Moses and buried him. Can you imagine God presiding over your funeral? No greater honor can be given in the word of God than a man who saw the deliverance of three million Jews. Yeah, he had some downtime. Yes, he failed and he blew it, but he never walked away from God. And God never walked away from him. Would you stand to your feet all over the house of God? To a lot of opponents of true biblical faith, messages like this really, because I, I've heard the sermons and they, they, they really used to discourage me. People saying you can grow to a place in God where you won't go through spiritual warfare. You can, and, and I said, well, how is that even possible? And, and God really shows you through the scripture. Listen, let me tell you something. No matter how much you grow, you're going to go through hard times. You're going to face spiritual warfare. You're going to go through difficult seasons in your life. The thing is, he won't leave you while you're there. And I'm so glad that God didn't leave me, but I'm so glad that I didn't walk away, but that he kept me through this. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you are on the backside of the desert, and you're just saying, Lord, I just need strength. I just need you to hold on to me. I need to hold your hand. I just need you to touch me in this service if that's you I don't care what you're going through I want you to come around this altar and we're just going to pray for strength this morning maybe it's a child that's not saved maybe it's a spouse that's not saved maybe it's a loved one or somebody in your family that is just living in sin living ungodly and the enemy has done all he can to make you stop believing that they're ever going to come home but I want to tell you right now words of Bishop G.E. Patterson, that old song, I've wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. Too long a path of sin I've trod, but now I'm coming home. That will be the testimony of that wayward child if you don't give up and you keep holding on. While you're on the backside of the desert, God is dealing with that individual right now. And if you're here, I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Steve. And you just need a touch from the Lord. You're praying for something. You're standing on the word for something and you need God to move right now. And if God doesn't move, nothing is going to happen. This is for you this morning. Come and let's pray and let's give it to God today right now.
in the name of Jesus. And whatever they have to sing, just begin to worship him. Hallelujah. When Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.